Hi, this is Coach Sherry, and I am the host of the Teen Wise Podcast. I'm having conversations with teens fueled by curiosity and compassion. As a teen life coach, parent, educator, and mom to three, I've learned that hearing straight from teens is the best way to truly understand the world they live in and the struggles they face. Listen in to find out more. Anxiety is at an all-time high in teens. It affects 15 to 30% of adolescents. And on college campuses, there is a clear mental health crisis. 41.6% of college students reported anxiety as their top presenting concern. While research hasn't been able to pinpoint the exact cause, one factor is that we have extremely high expectations for this upcoming generation. We push kids towards high-octane achievement with high grades, lots of volunteer hours, and excelling at every after-school activity they do. In addition to that, this generation feels the weight of the world on their shoulders. With unprecedented access to the news, they know of every social injustice, every natural disaster, and everything going wrong on a global and national level. And not only are they aware of it, but they feel responsible to make the change. And then there is, of course, social media. As someone who works with teens, I don't agree that we can just point the finger at social media as the cause for anxiety and call it a day. There are actually some positive aspects of social media for this generation, but that's for another episode. Where social media does become an issue is when it is all-consuming, creating hyper-comparison among peers, and it goes on nonstop 24-7. Whether we like it or not, anxiety has spread like wildfire throughout our adolescent population. In today's episode, we have four brave young women who are going to open up about their own struggles with anxiety. Listen in to find out more. Anxiety isn't something that's new. It's been around since the caveman days. But in the modern world, anxiety is increasing in the teen world. While we all experience anxiety at some level, for some of us, I'll include myself in this group, we feel it more frequently and more intensely than others. And as a teen, it can make it tough to navigate school demands, social life, and trying and exploring new things. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from four teens who will shed some light on what anxiety feels like, how it impacts their lives, and how they cope with it. Welcome to the Teen Wise Podcast, everyone. So let's start by finding out who's joining us today. If you can introduce yourself with your first name, what grade you're going to be in next year, and what is your dream trip? So I'm Maddie. I'm going to be a freshman in college this coming year. And I've never been there, but my dad has traveled to Prague before, and I would genuinely love to see it. That would be an awesome trip. I think I might have gone there in high school, but it was one of those whirlwind trips. So I don't even know where I was. I hate to say it, but I've heard it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm Brooke. I'm going to be a senior this year, and I would love to go back to Guatemala. I was there for two and a half weeks during my freshman year and learned a bunch of Spanish, got to stay with a host family but I don't feel like that was long enough and I really want to go back. Did you go there as part of a group trip? Yeah, I went with Global Visionaries and now I'm on their leadership team and I'll be going back next year, hopefully, and leading one of the trips. That's fantastic. So it's your dream trip, but you'll definitely be going there. Yeah, for sure. Nice. I'm Reagan. I'm going to be a senior in high school and um, my dream trip would be to go to because my mom went when she was younger and she's always said that she wanted to take our family there in the future. So you want to go with your family? Yeah. Awesome. That would be fun. Is there something in particular your mom talks about that you think sounds really great about Spain? I don't know if he's talked about it, but my friends have been to Spain talk about the food and how amazing the food is there. And I really want to try that, definitely. Yeah. Is paella, is that from Spain? I believe so. I think it is. I've never had paella. Now, I think I need to make that while we're sheltering in place and have more time. Maybe I can try to make that. My name is Clara. I will be a senior next year, 
And my dream trip is probably the Amalfi Coast in Italy. That's very specific. Have you been there before? Or that's your... It's just, I've seen a lot of pictures and it's somewhere I've always wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to make that happen? I don't know. Hopefully I'll be able to have a career where I can kind of travel and see the world. And that's definitely like one of the first places that I'll go. That sounds good. That sounds really good. All right. So I want to ask all of you, um, anxiety is very personal, right? Everybody feels it in their own way and experiences it in their own way. So I'd love to hear from you. How do you feel and experience anxiety? Maddie, how about you? I don't really know how to explain it. I would say in terms of like physically, I usually start to feel it in my chest. And then after that, I start to get really, I start to feel kind of weak and lightheaded. I start to uh, get shaky. Sometimes my vision will be impaired. But usually like when I'm having like a genuine panic attack, everything around me just kind of closes in and I get very much tunnel vision. When it's more generalized anxiety or social anxiety, I just, it kind of feels like there's this glass wall in front of me and it's keeping me from doing whatever it is I want to do. So whether it's, I want to go talk to somebody and make friends, I feel like if I walk towards them, something stops me. And I feel like, why, why would they want to talk to me? I I can't talk to them. Why, why would I do that? And it's just like an overwhelming amount of overthinking and fears and concerns and worries of basically it's like a bunch of what ifs that pop into my head that kind of like keep my feet glued to the ground from doing whatever it is I want to do. So the glass wall is a combination of your physical response, but also these what ifs that are going through your head. Yeah, pretty much. Now, how do you break through that wall, that glass wall? Usually what I have to do, what I've been trained to do, um, because for me, that feeling has, that started for me in like third or fourth grade. And as a kid, I just thought that I was antisocial. But as I got older and I had counselors to talk to and my parents, because my mom has anxiety as well, I was able to find that the way that I get through it is I have to do, I do a lot of meditating. I do a lot of deep breathing, but it's also a matter of like, I have to be in the present moment and I have to focus on whatever's in front of me and take it very much in like small portions and steps Because if I try to take everything in all at once, I just get way too overwhelmed. And I feel like I have to fix a million things when really all I have to do is just move my feet so that I can then say hello. And then that person says a response and then I say it back. And it's just very much like a step-by-step kind of situation so that it feels more attainable to me. I like that. So literally you need to take one step to get past the glass barrier You don't need to figure out what you're going to say, how they're going to respond, how the group is going to take you in or not take you in. It's just that first step. That's what's worked for me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's great. And Reagan, how about you? How does anxiety feel for you? So like if I'm just like a little anxious, it'll mostly just be like in um, my head. I don't know how to explain this. It's just kind of like all of my thoughts are just getting so um, discombobulated. My head is getting discombobulated, and I can't really think straight because I'm thinking about all the little things that I have to do, and it's just hard for me to prioritize. And like, if I was having a full-on like panic attack or something like that, it would be more. It's kind of like a more physical response. Like I start getting really hot, and like it's kind of like my heartbeat, but like in my whole body, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of, um, yeah, I get so like wound up in what's going on inside my head that I forget that I need to like calm down. And what I usually do is I think about like the stuff around me. Like uh, there's like those grounding techniques. Mm-hmm. That's what I usually do. That's like in the moment. And then to like organize my thoughts, what I usually do is like, say, okay, so what can I do like right now in this moment? And what can I like, if not even think about me to do at the moment? And just kind of like, 
organize my thoughts that help calm me down. Mm-hmm. So organizing, but very similar to Maddie, it's the one step, like what's your first step, whether it's the first step is making a list of what homework you have to do or what things you need to prioritize. It's just that one very first thing you have to do. Yeah. And Brooke, how about you? I think for me, it definitely starts in my head, but I feel it a lot in my stomach. If it's just a little bit, one of the things I really like to do is I like to fidget because it just gets my mind off of the little ones in my head, as you can see I'm doing right now. You're right, yeah. Not a huge fan of public speaking, but I thought that this would be a good thing to be able to work on. Um, and so I really feel it in my stomach in like the times of higher anxiety. I feel like I always feel it a little bit, except in like my really, really like what I would call my safe situation. I don't know if safe is the right word or like the situations where I feel like the, like my, my best me mm-hmm. is when I feel it the least, but I think I always feel it a little bit and it just kind of starts with like crowded thoughts in my head. And then I feel it more in my stomach after it like progresses into feeling like more. And I think I really like to take my mind just off it. If it's the little things and if it's the big things then I know that I have to like work with them and figure out why they're making me feel like this for you does it start in your stomach or does it start in your head with your thoughts the little ones start in my head any like little like any little thoughts start in my head but anything if I like there's a big place like a big sense of anxiety if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like just a lot of anxiety then I feel it in my stomach first Clara how about you yeah, kind of similar to Brooke, like it starts kind of in my head and I'm like thinking about, you know, a certain situation and then I kind of keep building it up in my head and then, you know, like my hands start to sweat and I start to like feel nauseous. And for me in like really bad situations, like it can get so like dehabilitating almost. And like, there's definitely been a couple times where I've like it's gotten so bad that I've thrown up because of like the certain situation that I'm in. But the kind of getting so bad that I throw up, it hasn't happened recently because like some ways that I try to deal with it is I just like, it's always kind of in my head a little bit. And then if it starts to build and like my hands start to sweat, I like just put a hand on my stomach and I take some deep breaths and I chew gum a lot of the time to kind of like, just to like have something to do because like I like to be fidgeting and also like the taste of the gum kind of it's just a neutral flavor I don't have to like focus on it you know and then I also like do this like five four three two one strategy where it's like I look around and it's five things I can see four things I can hear three things I can feel like that I'm like touching two things I can smell and one thing I can taste and that kind of helps me like ground myself and bring my self back to the moment and you know make it less of a big deal than it is in my head Mm -hmm. a couple of you have mentioned grounding techniques and some of the listeners may not really know what that is what that means who wants to kind of educate our listeners on grounding techniques what that means so what I know grounding techniques to be is essentially when you are in a state of panic or even just a state of discomfort, um, because a lot of times anxiety just like forces you into this corner where you're just really uncomfortable with whatever given space you're in, there are certain techniques that you can kind of have in your kind of like a toolbox in your head to help you kind of get out and be able to move forward with your day. So the one that Clara mentioned is a great one. There's another one where you do a breath in for four seconds, you hold for four seconds, you let out for four seconds. There are some where you, you sometimes you have to just leave the room that you're in because changing your environment can help you. Reaching out to people, Sometimes um, a grounding technique that I was taught was instead of 
distracting yourself sometimes if you write down whatever's in your head. So like for me, my head will get super, super overwhelmed and full of different thoughts and anxieties of a million different topics. And sometimes I'll just pull my phone out and I'll just write it all down. And to an untrained eye, it's a bunch of gibberish because I go over like five topics in a matter of two sentences. But it's incredibly helpful for someone who's in a state of anxiety because sometimes you just need to, in my case, I, I don't mean literally, but sometimes you have to vomit all of the, all of the anxiety out because otherwise it just kind of stays in there and it just kind of manifests. And for you to be able to move on with your day, you have to just kind of let it go and be able to be like, okay, yes, that is in my brain right now. And I'm going to use these given techniques to either distract myself, be able to come to terms with whatever is giving me anxiety, or sometimes you just need to set it aside to deal with it later. Right. And you bring up a really good point that there are different techniques to deal with anxiety. One may work really well for you, but not for the person next to you. And it also may work really well in one situation for you, but not in a different situation. I think that that's important for parents and teens to know because it's not as if you just hear of this one technique and that one is the one technique that's going to work. It takes some trial and error for anybody with anxiety to figure out the best methods for them. I love what you said about writing it down. That works really well when the thoughts are what are creating the anxiety and just making it bigger. But for some, the distraction is better to be able to just do something other than listen to those thoughts. But we have to just keep that in mind. Um, It's great to kind of keep a notebook of the techniques that we hear about so that we can try them at different times and really pinpoint what works for us. And it's really important for parents to know you can't just introduce one thing to your kid and that's the solution and it should be working. Why isn't it working? Just um, let them guide you on what what the best technique is for them. Any other techniques that anybody uses to help themselves get through those moments of intense anxiety? So I, with like either one of my hands, I touch my pinky finger, my ring finger, my middle finger, my pointer finger, and then back to the outside repeatedly and I think that this just like help helps me like I'm physically here like I'm here and like I'm able to do the next thing mm-hmm. and like I'm able to keep going so I think that like physically being able to like feel that I'm here and like in a repeated motion that I know can calm me down I think that really helps me it's almost like fidgeting too. It's like putting, yeah, I'm I'm together. definitely a fidgeter in general, mm-hmm. but I think that that's one of the like my biggest ones, along with the one that Clara mentioned earlier. Any other techniques that anybody wants to bring up? Reagan, go ahead. Oh, uh, for me, this sounds really weird to say it out loud, but for me, exercise is always a stress reliever. So, like, obviously, sometimes you're having like a panic attack and you can't just like go outside and go for a run, but like. Normally, I'll do just, like, like three push-ups because I'm weak or, like, five jumping jacks or something like that. And, and it would look really weird to someone who's, like, watching me do that, but it really helps just to, like, shake out everything and, like, start fresh. And that makes so much sense, Reagan, because a lot of anxiety is this energy that's, like, coursing through our bodies, right? That's kind of energy that's out of control sometimes is how it feels for me. And so to go and release some of that energy through exercise, whether it's jumping jacks or push-ups or treadmill, whatever it may be, it can release that energy that's kind of pent up a little bit. Yeah, for me, like I said, like chewing gum really helps. And also just like moving a body part, like however I can, like I'd also do the tapping or just like tapping my foot on the ground or something just to kind of like have a little movement so that it feels like I'm not as like stuck in that like state of anxiety. It just kind of helps like break that a little bit. When you're at school and you have these moments of anxiety, uh, it can probably be difficult because you can't just probably Reagan just stop and do push-ups in the, the hallway, right? Or if you're about to give a presentation, it may be a little more difficult to do some of the normal things you would do to get through it. Uh, how do you deal with that in the school situation? 
So I actually keep, I try to keep a friendship bracelet on the water bottles that I bring around. And as I'm currently doing one right now for those of you who can't see me, but I find that it's a really good way to like focus my mind on something else. And it's a pattern and it's repetitive and it's something that I enjoy doing. And so I keep it on my school water bottles and I keep them in my room. I keep them all around my house. And I've noticed that it's just a good way to like, it takes my mind off of something, but I can keep like, I can keep doing it, but it just kind of brings me back to like, okay, we can like do this from here. And Mm -hmm. it's like a little distraction that has, it keeps me moving and it's like slightly focuses me on something else, but I can still focus on like the task at hand. Right. And so at school, that's been like a big thing of mine. It's, enough movement for me that I'm able to kind of calm myself down. It's a good combination of a lot of the things of the, like when you're talking about touching your fingers, like there's the tactile piece to making a friendship bracelet. There's the repetitive piece to it. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, the artistic piece. Yes. artistic For, for creative people, it's a mm-hmm. kind of creative outlet for all of that energy. Right, and nobody's mentioned the creative outlet yet. Obviously, Brooke, for you, the friendship bracelet is one. How about creativity for any of you? Does that help with anxiety? Um, yeah, I have these like I guess they're called adult coloring books or whatever. Honestly, kids' coloring books work too. But like sometimes if I just need a break, I'll like do one of those. Yeah, those help a lot. Mm-hmm. Get you in the the right creative side of your brain. So kind of helps you to stop listening to all those thoughts that are just rushing through and get you kind of more relaxed. In college, my roommate and I would always pull out the coloring books when we were stressed out. That was always our our stress reliever and our anxiety reliever, especially around finals and things of that sort. Okay, so here's a big question for all of you. What do you think that some parents do that are very well-intentioned and well-meaning? What do they do that can increase anxiety in their kids? I would say the biggest thing for me, and my parents are really, really great supports for me with my anxiety. They're very understanding of it. But I think the biggest thing for me is the let's talk about it kind of thing for me. I tend to drift away from people when I'm feeling really stressed out or really anxious. And so when I have, um, it's usually my mom, she will, she'll come find me or she'll text me and she'll be like, Hey, um, I'm here. I support you. Let's talk about it. And she will continue to try to figure out what it is that's making me anxious. And I know it's because she wants to fix all my problems for me. And I know that it's because she wants to make everything feel better. And that's totally fine. She can kiss my boo-boo, but I'm not ready for that yet. I need time to process and figure out. Because a lot of the times, I don't even know why I'm anxious. That's a really big thing with generalized anxiety or social anxiety is you're feeling really anxious, but you have no clue why. Because it could be a million different things. Or there's nothing you can think of that makes you anxious. And so it's difficult for me to process it and get myself out of that space if I have someone tapping on my shoulder all the time saying, hey, hey, let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Mm -hmm. And also the piece of like you thinking you need to be able to articulate what you're anxious about when you can't in that moment. Exactly. So I know that for me, the best thing when I'm when I'm in a state of panic or anxiety, a lot of the times what I will attempt my dad and I my dad's very good at this. My mom, it's it's very difficult for her to see me anxious and not do anything about it, which I understand. But a lot of the times I just need to say, you know, I like give me 20 minutes and we can recap. And in 20 minutes, if I'm still feeling really anxious or I'm feeling really antisocial, I can be like, hey, how about I just be in your space, but we don't really talk. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a really big thing for me because when someone, especially I think, I think for adolescents, when you're in a state of anxiety or panic, you shouldn't necessarily be left alone um, because that then gives you a space to then re capture that anxiety and think about it again so being with other people is beneficial but you don't 
that doesn't mean that I want to sit and have a full-on conversation with you or give my all. Sometimes I just need to sit next to you and watch a movie. And it's helpful for me when you don't treat me like a time bomb, like I'm going to go off. And you could just be like, oh, hey, it's a human being who feels human emotion. And she's feeling some of the negative human emotions. So I'm just going to sit and watch a movie with her and treat her as I would any other day. I think that's super important that whoever is your support person, whether it's a friend or a parent, doesn't act like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? Because that ramps up the anxiety when we feel that from the people around us that they're getting anxious about our anxiety, it can just snowball. And also that what you're talking about, Maddie, is the responsibility to explain your anxiety to someone else can feel like a burden sometimes, I imagine. You know, I know for me, it would be to constantly explain, okay, this, let me figure out something I can tell you I'm anxious about, even though I don't really know. I think that's important for supporters to remember. Um, one of the things you said that your mom does say, it sounded like the first part was good and then it was a last sentence that didn't work. Do you remember what you said? She says something like, I'm here to support you. Is that the first piece? Yes. So my mom, for her, she does, she does make it very clear that, you know, I love you and I'm here to support you. And for me, that's all she needs to say. Mm-hmm. It's just, I love you, I'm here to support you. And then if she just walked and left the room, I'd be able to process like, okay, so she's not going to coddle me or put pressure on me, but I do know that she loves me and I do know that she's here to support me. So if I wanted to use her as an outlet, she has just made herself known and I can go to her. But ultimately I think it's important for the teen to choose you as the outlet. You can't force yourself as that outlet on your team because that in more cases than not will make it worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it's really important for if you just make it known that you're there for your teen, then your teen can feel like, oh, okay, so she is an option if I want, and they will pursue that if they feel it's the right option. Mm-hmm. That's really good to know. Just stop with the first thing. I'm here if you need me. That's all you need to know. Like, just leave out the let's talk or when you want to talk, come to me. That's implied, I think. Mm-hmm. And who else has some wisdom for parents of what they should maybe avoid that can make the anxiety worse? And it may not be your own parents. It may be just something that you see parents do. Um, I know for me, uh, similar to what Maddie said, sometimes I just need to like word vomit everything that's on my brain, like to my, it's usually to my mom. Um, so yeah, sometimes I just need to like get all my problems out there, but sometimes they'll try and like offer me all these solutions and stuff like that. But I'm like, yeah, that's really helpful, but that's not what I need right now. Like I just need you to stand there and listen to me while I tell you all of my problems and don't fix any of it because I'm like going through stuff. Right. So the fix it is an issue I hear a lot with teens and parents of why teens will say, I don't want to go talk to my parents because they won't listen. They just want to fix it. And so it sounds like with anxiety, it's the exact same thing. Like you're not looking for your parents to fix it because let's be honest, they can't fix it. Right. They, you just need them to be there, listen to you, be sitting next to you. And that's about it. Yeah. I also think that like, not just parents, but even other people, like when I'm more anxious and like, the whole like people saying it's gonna be okay I don't like that at all I think that like I know it's gonna be okay I've had this happen to me before like during a panic attack telling me it's gonna be okay isn't gonna do anything because I've had a panic attack before and it was okay so I'm gonna have this one and be okay after it like it's it's not like a new thing for me. So I don't need to know that it's okay because I already do know. Let's talk specifically about panic attacks because that's kind of like anxiety on a whole different level, right? It takes over physically. What do you need from people, from whoever's with you at the time, if you have a panic attack? Obviously from what Brooke said, don't say it's going to be okay. That's like, because you're like, yeah, whatever. That's not what I need. Um, So what do you need in those moments? And it may be different for all of you too. 
for me, I think that like the biggest thing is kind of what Maddie was saying earlier, just like, I love you and I'm here for you. But like, I don't necessarily need like somebody to be holding my hand the whole way. You know, it's something that I feel like I can work on by myself. And I feel like, you know, just knowing that like someone is there for me, but they don't have to be like physically with me or sitting with me, at least not like the whole time. Like there might be a time like, you know, if it's like starting to dial down or even if it's like starting to get worse, there might be a time where I'm like, I want to go and like sit next to my mom, just like sit next to her. I don't need to like tell me anything, but just, you know, like it's not always that I want to be in like a physical proximity to another person. Um, and so understanding that like, you know, if I'm having a panic attack, or like if someone's having a panic attack, they can, they can, you know, deal with it on their own. And I think that obviously everyone is different, but I think that a lot of people are able to kind of express whether they want to be alone or not, but just, you know, being there for them and like reassuring that like, I'm there for you, even if I'm not physically with you. Mm-hmm. Panic attacks specifically, they're very personal. So they definitely are one of those things that differs from person to person. So like how they physically feel it, how they feel afterwards, how they feel right before it, um, what they need during it. It's a very personal thing. And so I think obviously there isn't one answer for it, but I would say that For me, it usually depends on where I am and who is around me. So, um, for example, I would get a lot of panic attacks at school, which was always really embarrassing for me because I would be sitting at my desk and I would have a panic attack for whatever reason. And when I have a panic attack, I just completely shut down. I feel like I can't move my legs. I feel like I can't breathe. I feel like everything around me is kind of closing in on me and surrounded by a bunch of other teens. I look, I look weird. I look like maybe I'm being a drama queen. I look like I'm trying to get attention. And those then adds on to the anxiety again on top of it because you're worried about the perception. And so there are a lot of different factors that kind of goes into having a panic attack, especially if you're in, pu- in a public space. So in situations like that, it's always beneficial for me if I have an ally in the room for them to just kind of help, you know, take me out to the hallway. Or if it's, you know, if it's another girl, she takes me to the bathroom and she just kind of is like, okay, we're going to breathe, right? And if I have someone to breathe with me, then I can match their breathing. and you know, they don't, they don't have those, you know, sympathetic, I feel bad for you attitude. It's more of like, okay, this is something you're going through. We're going to get through it. It's going to be over in just this little bit of time and you're going to be totally good and we're going to get through it. If I am having a panic attack and I'm in a more personal space, like I'm at my home or I'm at my grandparents' house, um, I usually do it alone because I feel safe knowing that my, you know, my grandparents or my parents are downstairs or wherever. Um, And so I feel safe in that space, but I think it really does vary on who is around me and where I am. If it was in the classroom, it makes me think of how a teacher might react. Like if a teacher is kind of like, oh my gosh, and comes at you and then the whole class is looking at you, that's probably not a good thing, right? No. And that's actually happened a couple of times. I've had teachers get mad at me I've had teachers who draw a lot of attention to me, but I've also had teachers that just kind of very quietly just kind of tap me on the shoulder. They'll kind of help me kind of get up. They'll like put their arm out and they'll just kind of walk me out and they're like, okay guys, I'll be right back. We're just going to have a quick little chat. And then they just kind of talk to me and then it's like no biggie. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for it, it depends. So Maddie, I can't skip over the first part of what you said, that teachers actually got mad at you. Tell me a little bit about that, because I just, that appalls me. I had a couple teachers where I had a panic attack in class because I, I deal with social anxiety. So when someone, I had this teacher that she, the way that she would um, line us up for like putting presentations and doing presentations in front of the class is she would just like pull a random stick 
And so you never knew which day you were going to present. And she felt like that was the fair way to do it. But for someone with social anxiety, that's like literally every day I walk into that class and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to be presenting today. I am not emotionally ready for this. I'm not mentally ready for this. And she called my name and my feet were completely glued to the ground. My legs started shaking like crazy. I felt like I wanted to throw up. I got really, really hot. I started sweating everywhere. And I had one of my friends was sitting behind me and she had, you know, tapped on my shoulder and she's like, do you want me to stand with you? Like I can do it with you. Even though it was individual presentations, she said, you know, I'll do it with you. And the teacher comes over and she said, really? you're going to do this just so that you don't have to present. And she was kind of framing it more as like, I was doing it on purpose in order to gain sympathy so that I wouldn't have to do the presentation. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about like, that's one of those things that I hate about your generation. You guys use mental health as an excuse for everything. And that's kind of like a messaging that I hear a lot with adults of like, like, like it's a tool that we use. And unfortunately, there are some teens that do use it, which really makes it suck for people like us who really do struggle with this on a daily basis. And we're not using it for attention. In fact, that's one of the downfalls that we absolutely hate about it. Yeah. So it's just kind of interactions like that. I had a boss. I had a panic attack because a customer had gotten really, really mad at me and I didn't know what to say. And I tripped over my words and my manager got mad at me because I wasn't prepared to have that conversation with that customer. And I was like, uh, I don't even have words. And I started crying because I just started shaking. And I just didn't know what to do. And he said, oh, my God, get up, get up. You're fine. Get up. And so it's just kind of things like that where it really depends on where I am and how I'm going to get through the panic attack. It's kind of one of those things that you have to figure out as you go. Right. All right. So we talked about what parents can do to kind of make it worse, you know, inadvertently, but what can we do in general? And I know it's different for everyone. What can parents do to make it better? How can they be the best supporters possible when it comes to anxiety? This is like kind of personal to, like not personal to me, but like one that really works well for me is, so my mom notices my anxiety sometimes before I do, just because it's been in our lives for so long and she also has it. And so she notices it commonly before I do. And she'll be like, hey, you want to go walk the dog with me? And when she does that, if I get out, she'll be like, it's like just her noticing it before me and kind of like doing the proactive things that we know can typically like calm me down or help her knowing them before me really helps. And I think that that's just something that comes with having had anxiety for so long and also her having it. Um, I think just being like parents recognizing it before their children and then proactively doing something to either like one of the coping mechanisms or one of your strategies and just starting those even before you're personally noticing it can prevent a lot. What's great about that is it's not all about the anxiety. It's like, hey, let's go take a walk. Instead of, I see you're very anxious. What are we going to do about this? It's just matter of fact, let's go take a walk. Who else can tell parents what is a good way to support kids with anxiety? Um, for me, so usually when I'm really anxious, the best thing like uh, that a parent could do would either do to be just like listen to me, you know, word vomit, or sometimes I just be a distraction. So if my mom's ever like, oh, let's go like sit down, watch a movie, or something like that, then it's just like opportunity to just like sit there and get my mind off of sleep, and that really helps. Right. So again, not making it all about the anxiety, just about let's move forward. Let's do something else. I like that. And let me ask this question. Who of you has a parent who you can say, that's my anxious parent? Does everybody have a parent who's anxious? Yeah, pretty much. Which can be helpful, right? Two, you have two. (laughs) It can be helpful because they are aware of anxiety. And sometimes it can make it more difficult because it kind of 
you're building on each other's anxiety if you're not aware of it and you're not creating those coping skills and those conversations around anxiety, not in the moment, but, you know, outside of the moment of what you need. Because if you have a parent who's anxious, they may think, well, this works for me. So this should work for my daughter or my son as well. Yeah. So um, uh, usually when kids have anxiety, there's somewhere in the family tree that there's anxiety coming from. So uh, we just have to be aware of that. Oh, so my dad is a therapist and he works with mainly anxiety and depression along with trauma in youth. And so I feel like with that, one of the not as positive things that comes out of it is that the strategies that he uses with his clients, he'll try to teach me. And I'm not his client, I'm his daughter. And right. I think that that's, some of them do help. But most of the time, I feel like I want to be a daughter and not a client. Like, there's other therapists for a reason. Mm -hmm. And it's a good point, even for parents who are not therapists, that to don't treat it as a clinical thing. Like I'm, I'm trying to fix it. Like going back to that, I'm not trying to fix you. I'm supporting you and I'm here for you as your, your mom or your dad. That's a really great, great point. Brooke. I'm really curious to know if anxiety has kept any of you from doing things that you really want to do. What kinds of things has it stopped you from doing? I mean, for me, I get pretty bad social anxiety. And so a lot of the times, like, you know, I'll have plans to go, like, see one of my friends or, you know, like, go to a movie with a friend or something. And I'll kind of, like, start thinking about it and start getting really anxious about it. And then, you know, like, come up with an excuse that's like, oh, I can't actually, like, whatever it is. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely been times where like I've missed out on something because I started overthinking it and got really anxious and then I regretted it later. But mm -hmm. after it's happened, it's kind of like, well, I can't go back and fix it. So, you know, just trying to like, remember that the next time that somebody asks, like tries to make plans with me and I start getting anxious is like, okay, I've regretted it. But in the past, like I'm going to do it. I'm just going to try not to think about it and like work on my strategies and just try to like be present in the moment when I'm there instead of focusing on whatever the anxiety trigger is. Mm -hmm. I'm very similar. My anxiety in terms of the, the anxiety that stops me from doing something that's more like my generalized anxiety and my social anxiety. So I know that there have been a lot of times where someone will ask me on a date and I'll be like, uh, uh plans, yeah, I have to walk my dog and I don't, I don't, I don't have a dog. So, you know, it's just kind of situations like that where, and then at, at the end of the day, I go home and I'm like, someone asked me out. My mom's like, oh my God, that's awesome. And I'm like, I said no. And she goes, why? And I'm like, well, I have to walk our dog. She's like, we don't have a dog. What? I don't, why? And it's like, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could say yes. Um, a lot of times there will be people that are like, Hey Maddie, do you want to come hang out with us? We're going to go have a campfire. Do you want to join us for that? And there have been a lot of times where I'll ask, well, how many people are going? And that's always been a really important factor for me is like, well, who's going? And I always ask questions like, uh, how many people who's going, how long, um, is there going to be enough food there? Is there going to be bathrooms? Like I find every little nitty gritty thing. And then at, by the end of it, they're like, okay, so if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. And so it just kind of things like that, where I, I get anxious. And when I get anxious, I start to babble and I just talk for an extremely long amount of time. And then it kind of ends up forcing other people away from me. I know that another thing is that my anxiety will cause me to pull away from people. So I've been really bad in the past of maintaining friendships because I will get anxious that, you know, I don't know if I can carry the conversation or I get worried about what they think of me and I will kind of drop off the face of the planet from that. And so anxiety definitely affects relationships as a really big thing for me as well as it's been extremely hard for me to pursue, to pursue any kind of 
confidence, like in body image or um, how I feel about myself, because honestly, it's, it's not even for me, it's not even like outside image, like images. It's more like my own thoughts of myself mm-hmm. that really kind of gets hard. Yeah. So it sounds like social anxiety is something that's kind of in the mix for everybody. Does anybody here, like if somebody calls and cancels plans, is it kind of like a sigh of relief sometimes? A little bit? Yeah, I know. It's not for you, Brooke. So I'm like very, very, very extroverted. So I think big groups canceling plans, like I'm fine with that. But like if it's one-on-one plans, I think that that's one of the ways that I like kind of can like chill, I guess. And so that's one of the ways that I like feel well rested and like I'm focused and doing well is if I have like plans. And I think that the changing in those plans makes me actually more anxious because it's a change and I like my schedule. Right. Uh huh. And like, I think I'm also kind of when people like really cancel plans, I'm like, oh, do they just not want to hang out with me? Did I do something wrong? rather than like the sigh of relief of like oh I don't have to see them because like I, I like to be around people I'm mm-hmm. pro- I think I'm much happier around other people yeah yeah so for the teens who are listening today what advice do you have to give them the teens who are feeling that anxiety and are feeling like maybe they need to get some help or some support around it what advice do you have to give them I think that talking about it even like with yourself, just like talking through out loud is really important because it kind of helps you like process a little bit and it helps you kind of understand a little bit more like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. Can I figure out why? Like all of that. And then, you know, once you feel comfortable, once you feel like for me, like talking it out by myself helps me kind of understand what I was going through a little bit more. And then that made it easier to like talk to my parents and like talk to some friends and like, So I think that, you know, being able to talk it out step by step, starting with yourself. And then like, if you feel comfortable talking to a friend or a parent or a counselor, whatever it is, it can really help kind of process what you're going through and kind of help you understand a little bit more, like maybe where it's coming from or why you're feeling like that. So talking it out is the main thing, whether it's friends, parents, counselors, somebody, even yourself, as you mentioned, like to just start putting words to it of what you're feeling and going through. I think also one big thing for me is like finding where you're like where I'm the happiest and where I'm feeling like the realest version, like the realest and the best version of myself, because I know that I can always go back to that place when I need to. And so I think that having, having that type of thing like having like that type of place and knowing where and what that is is a way for me to be able to like go back to where I'm like the best version of myself and sometimes that takes some reflection to start noticing that where do you feel that comfort and that safety of just being you it's not always an easy awareness to figure out but once you start looking for it you're going to find it I think another thing that's really important that I didn't learn until recently, don't feel bad for having anxiety. A lot of times you feel like you're taking up space in the world and ultimately you deserve to have that space in the world. And it is very much okay if you are an anxious space in this world. That is totally fine and that is just as beautiful as anything else. So I think it's it's important to recognize that while your anxiety is, it it is a part of you and it's not necessarily something that you can cure or get rid of, but it is something that you can accept as being a part of you and you shouldn't feel sorry for having that part of you. And I think it's important to have people in your life that acknowledge that side of you and they support that side of you. I know for myself, I've had people that I've had friends that themselves are very anxious and having other anxious friends can sometimes be great, but it can also sometimes be very difficult just because being a teenager, 
in general is very difficult, but when you have anxiety added in it, um, you're both just kind of figuring out your own paths. And so I think it's important to have, you know, to be conscientious of the impacts that other people and relationships have on you so that you don't feel sorry for having anxiety or for taking up space or, you know, so I think it's important that you have consistent friendships in your life that give you a positive space and a positive feel and that make you feel confident and comfortable in your, in, in yourself and for everyone and for all the influences that make you feel anxious or that cause you to feel bad to do your part to just not let that get to you because a lot of times our society likes to label us by our challenges and sometimes anxiety it's it's just it just kind of is it doesn't have to be something massive that you are afraid of mm-hmm. anxiety is a part of all of us and for some of us we feel it you know bigger than others and it permeates our lives a little bit differently you know it's something that is manageable for those of you who feel like maybe you have generalized anxiety or social anxiety reach out for help whether it's from your friends or your family um get some support around that For parents, just like all of our guests today have said, they really need you to support them, but you don't have to fix it. You just got to be there for them. And that goes for teens who have friends who are anxious as well. Just be that that support person. You don't have to fix it all. You just got to be there. Thanks, everyone, for being part of this conversation today. I learned so much from all of you, and you're so articulate and have added really a lot to this conversation about anxiety, and I really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone. We're so glad you joined us for this episode. Whether you are an adult or a teen, it's always amazing what we can learn just by listening. If you would like more information on TeenWise and the resources and programs available, we invite you to visit us at teenwiseseattle.com. If you're a parent in need of more support, join our Facebook group at TeenWise Parents. We hope to see you over there.